Learn how Alina Health is committed to providing you support on your path to better health in this edition of The Wellcast. Now here's your host, Melanie Cole. When do you know if you really like someone? What does love do to your brain chemicals? And is falling in love just nature's way to keep our species alive? My guest today is Dr. Jesse Corey. He's a neurologist with Alina Health's United Hospital in St. Paul. Welcome to the show, Dr. Corey. Are we talking about how falling in love affects the brain, or is it the other way around? Does the brain affect whether we fall or stay in love? This is a great example of both. It's an example of biology affecting culture and then culture reciprocating to biology. Um, I mean, you, you think about it, you know, you, what, what's the body want us to do? It wants us to make little ones, but also give those little ones a chance to have little ones of their own. So you need to find some sort of process whereby, you know, the beings are going to reproduce, but that, that reproduction, that offspring is going to be, you know, able to survive itself. So when we're talking about brains, what goes on in our brain when we find ourselves attracted to someone? And Dr. Corey, I'd like you to also mention, because the teenage brain is the subject of so much study. It's incredible. But teenagers, you know, can fall in and out of lust in a matter of minutes. So Mm -hmm. what goes on with the brain when we are attracted to somebody? Well, you know, it's it's interesting. There, There seems to be about three phases that the brain goes through. There's this lust phase that it's kind of a sex drive. And while that shares a lot of similarities with our more regular notions of romantic love and long-term attached love, they're still kind of independent pathways. Then you go into the more classic um, pathways of romantic love and then how that evolves over time into uh, attachment, you know, being with somebody for, you know, 30, 40 years. Um, what's, what, what I think is fascinating is, you know, when they look at societies around the world, they see it's almost ubiquitous, that almost every society has a positive view of romantic love. And when they've actually, you know, they've, they've had, I think there was this one survey that looked at 166 different cultures, I think 147 had a positive view of romantic love. And the, the rest of them, the, the, nobody had a bad idea of it. And 19, they asked the question wrong. So it's pretty much the same thing. And all of them across the board really share similar um, stages, you know, this, this lust, then attraction, courtship, and then attachment. And so what we're seeing, you know, when we first, you know, have that first, you know, like, the, like the, you're saying the teenagers, you know, that, that lust stage, that's actually driven by this kind of biologic need to, you know, to be part of a group, to be sociable. We're social animals. And so what's going on is actually that the first most important thing to kind of initiate the process uh, is stress. Is just basically not being up without that or not being with that special someone. So um, you have these really high level of cortisol in the body that, you know, makes us, you know, more nervous. It starts to, to really affect, um, you know, our, our motivations. You know, we want to start looking for people to be, you know, to be with us. We want to, you know, uh, impress other people. And, you know, the biological at this stage is really to, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, reproduce with as many people as possible. Um, and then the, during this stage of kind of, you know, indiscriminately going out there and trying to meet people and whatnot, that's what then triggers once you find somebody who meets kind of your, you know, your, your pair bonding, you know, your, your, uh, you know, your mate preference. That's when you start then transitioning into those other stages of the uh, romantic love and attachment. So it really is a chemical reaction involving cortisol, the stress hormone, and then our happy hormones, adrenaline, dopamine, serotonin, all of these things kind of swirling around to get us to the point where we feel that sense of love. Do you think that that is our body's way of keeping the human species alive? 
Uh, you know, I, I think it is. I mean, you look at across the cultures, we all have similar models. Something had to evolve in that way. And you know what makes sense? When you look at these three stages, that early stage, the cortisol gets high. As you transition into the second stage, you know, things start to become more rewarding. So you start making more of that dopamine. And then that dopamine, as we start going from the second to third stage, starts re- releasing other hormones, uh, um, oxytocin and vasopressin. These are what helps, you know, the oxytocin is that kind of, that cuddling, that feel-good hormone. And the vasopressin is what kind of really reinforces that pair bond that says, I want to be with this special someone. And long-term, that that high-stress state when you're trying to date someone, meet somebody, becomes a low-stress state. So when you're in the attached phase, you know, in that ideal phase, you still have the dopamine you had when you were, you know, first meeting that person when they were they were still new, but you don't have that, that social apprehension. You don't have that nervousness you had before. So what about as you've been, and you mentioned people that have been together for 50 years, what, what changes if we've had that attached phase with the oxytocin okay. and the vasopressin, mm-hmm. what happens in the longer phase and what happens if we start to fall out of love? Okay. So what happens is when you start in that attachment phase first and you start to have kind of that, oh, I like this person, and you've gone and you, you've shown them that, oh, you're special to me and, and here's why, there's a part of the brain called the ventral tegmental area. And this is a part of the brain, kind of lower in the brain uh, by the brainstem. And this is kind of what starts really pumping out that dopamine. And then this goes to a part of the brain called the nucleus accumbens. And what this area starts to do is starts to kind of really reinforce, A, that motivation that says, hey, I want to keep on doing these things that make me feel good. The parts of the brain that were kind of being triggered to make you a little more nervous, a little more fearful, the amygdala being one of those structures, it suppresses that a little bit, calms it down. But then it starts to, there's another part of the brain called the ventral palladium. And what this nucleus cumbens starts to do, it starts to really reinforce this pathway. And as we get older, and as we have more, you know, experiences that release the oxytocin, the vasopressin, that pathway to the ventral palladium really becomes amped up. And so in, if when you look at successfully, you know, married or pair-bonded couples, you know, 10, 20, 30 years on the road, this seems to be kind of the new love center. If the ventral tegmental area is the love center when we're younger, this area becomes the, the love center when we're older. And so, um, and as a result of what's happened before, you're less stressed out. Now, you ask what happens when we fall out of love. Here, it's what I think is fascinating when we look at the brain of people who are in love versus people who've fallen out of love who are, no, who are single, there's actually structural brain changes. There's a part of the brain called the striatum, which looks at, it's like kind of the risk manager. It looks at, you know, risk reward benefits of different activities. When a person's in love, that part of the brain tends to become a little less dense, meaning that the, the nerves there actually have more connections, other nerves, and people are able to kind of put a different spin on things. They view the world differently. And then when they fall out of love or they're single, that area shows less of these synaptic connections here. So these chemicals are actually changing the way our nerves are connected. And so when you fall out of love, you lose that chemical feedback to make those, those connections. So the brain will structurally start to change. And a part of the brain that becomes really active is the part that questions conflict called the uh, dorsal anterior uh, uh, cingulate gyrus. And this area then starts kind of, you know, questioning, you know, what I do wrong? Why are we, why are we not together? And so you now have, a, you know, loss of chemicals, almost a withdrawal phase, and a part of the brain that questions conflict uh, all really amped up. And so that's when you start having, these, you know, the, the, the love hurts, that kind of that really painful part of uh, And it actually does. It actually yeah. does hurt. That's so why now, it's happening. 
tell us, does science have any advice? Because the listeners want to know how couples can return to the more blissful stage of love Mm -hmm. and get those brain chemicals involved. In just the last few minutes, give us your best advice, really, on how couples can return to that feeling. I think the trick is, you know, when they look at successful couples, the trick is newness, newness, newness. So if you've recently fallen out of love, right, you need to try something different. So um, go on a trip. Go and uh, pick up a new hobby. I think for, for men in particular, being able to communicate some of the, what, what went wrong or what their feelings are is important. And there's been some evidence with women that communicate but don't, you know, don't bring up the past constantly. Now, uh-huh. if you're in a relationship and you want to maintain that, again, newness is important because that, that newness is going to trigger that dopamine release. And that's going to trigger all the other things. So what they found is couples that... Uh, share things. Like, I'll give you an example. Uh, friends of mine, been married 15 years. His wife started taking up shooting. She, the, he shoot, shot you know, for years as a, as a hobby. She's taking up right now. And so now it's something new that they're, that they're sharing. And, it, you know, and, and she's in, enjoying this. You know? um, so taking up hobbies with the other person or starting new hobbies together. Um, another Showing thing, interest you, in their interests. Exactly. Exactly. And probably one of the most important things is just sex. Sex, you know, releases that oxytocin, it, that helps form that pair bond. It releases the vasopressin that reinforces that you are monogamous to this person. So newness, enjoying each other, these are all very important to having a successful long-term relationship. Wow, what an interesting topic. And we could really talk about this for a long time, Dr. Corey. But thank you so much for being with us today. You're listening Excellent. to The Wellcast. Great. It was lots of fun, The Wellcast with Alina Health. And for more information, you can go to alinahealth.org. That's alinahealth.org. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.